0: Yeah, yeah, again. Now lads If you've ever been to this shop here in Sweden You will have seen that they have Lottery tickets Tris Lotter, right? And there's a poster that does be up in the shop and it says Plotslit Händere. Suddenly it happens. And jeez, if it didn't suddenly happen last Sunday night when, after a season of struggle with the Stockholm Gales EF soccer team, you will remember me talking to the lads before the season started. I haven't said a whole lot about them because we struggled all season, but last Sunday night we finally got a win 1 0 against Lamish Holm. And it was just magic after all the effort that went in and all the hassle and everything else like that. And it just reminded me of how much I love not just sport, but local sport, sport on our level. When we get together and we play games and we train and we fight and we battle and we bitch at one another and we do our thing. And you know, of all the games of football I played, I must have played in thousands of them in me time. I wasn't even playing the other night, I was just standing on the sideline, you know, chatting to the subs and trying to help Gary and Shawnee with the coach and that kind of thing. But Jesus, I enjoyed it so much when that final whistle went. Uh, fantastic goal by Hardy Hennessy in the first half, and then a real, real performance, a character from the lads there, and it's just, it's you know, with the dark winter coming up and that kind of thing, it just made it for me altogether. It was tremendous. So a few games left to go. Um, if you're up to similar exploits, similar heroics, if you will. Uh, in Yavla or up in Luleå or down in Gothenburg. I know Adrian Kelly is probably still playing football down there at the age of 150. Uh, g- get in touch, because we love to share these things with the community. One of the people who has been in touch over the last little while. I like got a lovely message from Peter Miller down below there in Malmo. Uh, I know Peter listens to the car on his way to work sometimes on a Monday or a Tuesday. And... Um, Peter's one of the lovely people who sponsors the podcast on Patreon patreon.com forward slash Error Man in Stockholm and he gave me some great feedback and it was brilliant because just that one little message from Peter about what he enjoys what he thinks is good about the past, uh, the, the podcast the fact that there's not enough people from outside the Stockholm with the podcast all these things are great lads because it points me in the right direction and I want to feel a lot of the time you know when I'm talking to somebody on the podcast we want it to be a conversation but because you're listening after the fact you can't take part in it but in a way you can can right get in touch with me tell me what you thought of it tell me what you thought of me tell me if i annoyed you if there was something i did that was good because that's what goes into making the podcast better right if i'm going to sit here every week doing this i want to make something that you enjoy not something that leaves you go ah that was all right but i wish he'd done this or why hasn't he talked to that person or do you know what i'd really like that's what i want to give you the things that you really like so uh do get in touch like the wonderful peter miller do support the podcast like the wonderful peter miller and like our good friends at veerstrom's pub um, over the next little while now we'll be hoping when Shamrock Rovers are coming to Stockholm and that, that we'll organise a little event uh, in Texas Longhorn and Gamblestone, but also at Veerstones because Martin has been a supporter of this podcast from day one and every month he sends send him a little invoice for the sponsorship and every month he pays it and there's no he places no demands on the podcast whatsoever he doesn't ask me to read out the list of sporting events I' so just go do your thing and he supports me and I'm so hugely grateful to Martin and if you know Martin you know that's the kind of fella that he is he'd almost be embarrassed if he heard himself getting the credit for a but. He well deserves a fantastic member of the community, and I'm delighted to have him uh, supporting this podcast so they can bring it to you every week. If you want to support, if you want to get involved, like I said, patreon.com, arrowman in Stockholm. You can become a monthly donator there, uh, or you can go to Swish if you have a Swedish bank account 123 2424 123 And you know what? The swish is also feedback, because one or two people have heard one interview, and then all of a sudden they'll swish you 50 crowns or 100 crowns, and I know straight away that, okay, so-and-so really enjoyed this episode. You know, if it was Marco Sullivan talking about coaching kids, so they decided that that was what made it worth their while to throw a few bobby in there. So, not exactly a scientific method, but... um. It certainly works for me I certainly pay attention When I check and see uh, And see the contributions Coming in and I realise what works And what doesn't You know So uh, it's always Always beneficial To do these things Helps keep the lights on uh, Something we'll be talking about More in next week's episode But uh, in this week's episode In a few minutes time We're going to talk to a man That has been in Stockholm Almost exactly as long as me I think I've been here Three months uh, Longer than him and that's Morty McCarthy. Morty is a fascinating character from Cork. Uh, and I can't wait for you to hear this story. Started out in Cork. Got involved in music. Uh, like many of us did back in the in the mid 80s there in Ireland. Had a blast you know, trying to be the next U2. Morty was in, the drummer in the Sultans of Ping. Now people of a certain age. And probably even you youthful hipsters these days. Will remember them for their smash hit Where's Me Jumper. Which was an absolutely mad piece of music. That was huge. And. Um, They did their thing They became huge here They became huge here in Sweden Um, That got Morty into the business And then he got into the business Of uh, of merchandising And of working on various tours And that Now I'm not going to steal his thunder By telling him But the stories he tells you Are absolutely wild so we'll get that to that in a second. But before I do that, I just want to tell you about an event that's coming up in Stockholm, right? And I would find this sort of fairly hard to uh, to resist, as I'm sure many of you will. Not that I ever had these things in my youth, unless you came from Galway, you probably didn't. But the Swedish-Irish Society is organising an Oysters and Guinness event on the 15th of October at 7 p.m. And that's together with Tourism Ireland and Board Bia and Guinness and Carlsberg are coming together uh, to do this at an, uh, a venue at Birkestan Let me see. I think it's one of the O'Leary's bars there in uh, Birkestan Let me see now. And I'll read you exactly what they've written about this on their webpage. The Swedish Soci- Irish Society thrilled to announce its first ever Oysters and Guinness event. With the kind sponsorship of B and Tourism Ireland, uh, we'll be hosting an evening featuring some of the best Irish food, a generous amount of Donegal oysters from Gallagher's, sourced and expertly handled by Irishman James Linus of Linus Foods AB, and Guinness kindly sponsored by Guinness and Carlsberg and it will all be followed by a buffet right so if you want to get involved in this particular event it doesn't say that I do think it was O'Leary's but don't quote me on that uh, in Birkastan there in the centre of Stockholm uh, go into the Swedish Irish Society's Facebook page and you'll find all the details of the event there James Linus is another fantastic member of our Irish community over here over the years he wasn't involved this year now but the previous years he's provided the lunches at cost price for huge Gaelic football tournaments that we've heard here in the city and I reckon it's going to be an absolute dinger of an event because um, <laughs> James is another wild man importing oysters and I think he's actually the biggest importer of barbecue charcoal in Sweden and that does of course merit an interview at some later. Stage On the Irish and Sweden podcast But for now We've plenty of other things To talk about Actually now that I think of it He used to do the catering For uh, the Tele2 Arena And Globen And for the Friends Arena So he's made dinner For Keith Richards And for all these You know the Rolling Stones When they played here And that kind of thing But that's beside the point That's not the end Of the music business That we want to talk to today So earlier on this week uh, Morty had been in Ireland for the Garth Brooks shows and he was over there doing the merchandise for the, the King of Country Music as he played to 400,000 people about the population of uh, Limerick if not slightly more in Dublin and the day after he got back so he got back yeah, on Wednesday night I think it was and on the Thursday I turned up at his workplace at Folk University here in the middle of Stockholm to talk to him about his life in Sweden his life in music and uh, how an Irish driver's licence that had some strange conditions attached actually decided his fate, if you will. Portie McCarthy. I mean, where's me jumper? person of the pick, Garth
1: Brooks. Gart Brooks? Garrett Brooks, yeah. My life is taken... Or Gareth Brooks, as Yeah, well, Gareth. Everyone in Cork was calling him Garrett Brooks, and I was there, and I was laughing. like I learned Garth by the end of the two weeks
0: there. That was like... What was that, though? It was with Mike Myers and the other fella. Wayne's World. Wayne's World, exactly. Like Garth, yeah, but,
1: yeah. What on earth had you in Cork Were you supporting him? Uh, no, I was actually looking after his merchandise. Is that what you were doing? Yeah, yeah? that's what I was doing. Yeah. You must have
0: made a fortune over there.
1: The he big did, bags he of cash coming yeah, back. Yeah, he did very, very well for himself. I mean, it's the biggest show in Europe this year, in any country. 400,000 tickets. I mean, I think the best, second best was Ramstein with 270,000. So it's crazy that Ireland can sell more tickets than any other act in any country this summer. Yeah. You put- um, five shows over the two weeks. Um, And, you know, went really well. I mean, it only rained for one of the five shows, which is pretty unusual for Ireland. September as well. Yeah, yeah. September. Really well organized. It was Aiken Promotions, who were excellent, yeah. Mm. So they did a fine job. What What was the most popular item that you sold? Well, the most popular item that we didn't sell was Stetson's. Because I was convinced that I was Stetson, but no. But I mean, there was some of the sharp hawkers were on O'Connor Street selling Stetsons. So I think they sell about fifty thousand Stetsons a day. But this is the thing, if you're going to Galway, surely you have your own Cow already. Stetson, yeah. But he doesn't sell Stetsons in the US, so he didn't have, uh, didn't have them in Dublin either. So that was a missed opportunity for him. But uh, yeah, I mean, there was loads of Crow Park branded stuff, and yeah, yeah very popular Crow Park uh, baseball hats, all sorts of things. So. Mm. It was good, it was good fun. It's a huge money spinner for artists, you know, when they get out on the road, and of course the pandemic
0: when they couldn't get out on the road, a lot of no them are missing that kind of money, would they?
1: Really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've worked, I've been doing merchandise since 1994, I've worked with a hell of a lot of bands and if you do it right and get the numbers right, you can make a hell of a lot of money. Mm. But it can also go badly wrong, you know, if the concert is cancelled if there's, you know, a storm and the festival doesn't happen, you've got all the stuff printed you can't use, so mm. um, it's a risk as well, yeah. also a risk, yeah. But if it goes normally, if the concert goes ahead as normally, yeah, it's... Big money maker. Right? Oh, yeah.
0: There's a, I have a new podcast coming up now. Well, okay, here we go. Tell everybody how everything is doing, right? There's a girl from County Mayo, Sinead Madden, and she's the production coordinator for Def Leopard. And of course, they were supposed to do a Las Vegas residency. They're supposed to do a tour and did all the stuff. From, and then the pandemic happened. Don't know where all that stuff went, Morty. What happens with all those t shirts that never got sold? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, I mean, normally, unfortunately, it's a certificate of destruction. It's a tax write off. Yeah. Uh, because if you just give them out to people, you don't get the tax back. Yeah. So you actually have to destroy them. And Oof. there's companies in each country that are able to do this. So they destroy them for you and give you certificates you can get your tax back. So it happened the last in the last few years, I can tell you that. So the first bunch of Gad Brooks T-shirts. Yeah, out, yeah, from 2014 it? Well, some of them turned up actually on the streets uh, <laughs> in Dublin, so we had a good laugh about that, you know. So
0: just thinking, there's, a, there's a, the great women who trade on Wall Street. There were always the, the first. They, they, they for me were the markets, right? The markets report all of yeah. always should have been with the women from Wall Street, you know. But they'd be the first onto anything, and they got there before you with the stats and that. Yeah.
1: But the thing as well is, if you don't print his name on it, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, like it's very difficult actually copyright. To, especially to when it comes that. to merchandising to, yeah. to actually prosecute somebody, you know. So if they make a slight variation on it, yeah. you can't prosecute them. So 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 I could go off
0: now to iStock Photo, I can buy a picture of somebody, stick it on. As long as I don't use the name or the name of their band.
1: Yeah. I'm good to go. Yeah, it of. depends, but there's a lot you know, there's a lot of ways around it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, not that we're recommending to people, yeah to the it is, yeah but is that, is that a challenge for
0: bands and for artists? It's a big movement? challenge. But
1: I mean, me, for example, in my job, I uh, I work with a lot of uh, bootleg or anti-bootleg companies, shall I say. Mm. So I employ them in a certain city where they stop people selling merchandise illegally mm. outside. Uh, it can be rough. It can be very rough. I mean, Manchester, uh, on a Saturday night, it's not much fun yeah. <laughs> out on the mean streets of Manchester. Italy is a big problem, as you know, down there with mafia and stuff, you know. So it's. um, And they're involved in all these things. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, it's a heavy business uh, to be involved in, you know. So, I mean, in the US, the anti bootleg, they go around with guns. So, you're not going to argue with a guy with guns. So, uh, thankfully, don't have to get involved with that too too often. But Uh in the 90s, it was baseball bats. I mean, I used to work for a company and their bootleg anti-bootleg firm were West Ham football hooligans. Yeah, and basically just fill up a bus with them and went wherever the concert was, and, and they just chase. They, people made, they chase people. people around the streets. Yeah, so I think it's moved on a little bit now since then. You know, people actually you know get court orders to try and stop it. Yeah. Digital watermarks. This yeah, exactly. Hi, hi, yeah, no, so, But yeah.
0: is it not a little bit sort of turned gamekeeper, Morty? Because you come very much from. A DIY, almost punk rock background as a person, yeah. as a musician, and that kind of thing. Now, I'm not going to say that you've sold out Fabian for me, yeah. you know, but but it is a sort of a, it's it's a hell of a journey you've made in the music business, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, an all by chance, you know, and actually, all thanks to an Irish driving license. That's it. That's it. One Irish That's driving license. The drive and. So I think before nineteen ninety one an Irish driving licence, you also got a truck licence included, even though you'd never driven a truck in your life. I drove a provisional license for fourteen years. Yeah. So you think- know how it was back you know, <laughs> yeah. back in the eighties. And I mean, I was driving around on my own when I was sixteen in the highest van around yeah. Ireland delivering whiskey and no guard ever stopped me. And if they did it, it was just drive on. Work away with that. Yeah. Um but before ninety one, if you had an Irish licence, you also got a truck licence. And um, just handy to have. You got it automatically, and I oh, was hold
0: on a second. I'm assuming now that you
1: had no fucking idea how to drive a truck. I'd truck. never been in a truck in my life. Yeah. <laughs> so I was in. I was working for Underworld, this uh, merch company in, in London in '94, in between Sultans yeah. uh, tours. I was doing a bit of driving for them, and they said, "You don't happen to have a truck license yet?" We have this band called Oasis. I said, "Of course you do, and I can drive a truck. I'd never sat in a truck in my life." Jesus. So me and uh, my buddy from Cork, Damien Mullally, we went up to this rental place and just sat in the truck and was like, "Right." We're off in the Oasis store. And there's no YouTube then. How do you drive a truck? Nothing. We just, yeah, <laughs> just off we went. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably actually what led me to Sweden even uh, because Oasis then had big shows out here in the Maritime Museum in 96, drove the truck out here. So it's, uh, I learned pretty quickly how to drive the truck. <laughs> Obviously. You're not yeah, you're obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd run two scrapes, all right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I got to the merchandise of the gigs, which was the most important thing, you know. That so. was the big thing for you. Yeah, okay. so I mean, I went from, you know, as I say, the drummer and the sultans to... An, an oasis tour for that lasted a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, as the second man driving a truck around the place. So Christ almighty. Yeah, yeah. Bluffers, I think, you know, a lot of our I think it's in our character to bluff and uh, we'll be grand then look at everybody
0: yeah. listening to this podcast has not their head
1: going, Hey, I would have done the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I it's just in our character. So I didn't think any of it at the time.
0: I, I'm teaching my eldest to drive at the moment and the younger she'd be teeth is standing lane soon, enough. what was it like the first time you said I got that truck out in the motorway you're thinking, Jeez, this is a fair size of a yoke. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm um, in the parking. Was the hardest thing. Obviously, the venues you try and look professional. I, I had my friend, you know, as a Damien behind me, pretending to back me up. We didn't clear what we were doing. Like so. an air traffic controller, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 These so we just parked it anywhere remotely near the venue and Looking unloaded Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then the crazy thing was the band. So they were doing the first album was out then. Uh, so it was the second album uh, came out. And I said, "Oh, would you mind bringing our gear down to Rockfield? They're recording the second album." Mm. So me and Damien said, "Yeah, sure." As we do it all the time. So. Yeah. We ended up bringing the Oasis scare down for the second album. <laughs> Christ, down to Rockfield Studios, so, yeah, a lot of adventures, yeah, for sure. What was it like working with Oasis back when they were just about to make it big? Um, I think it was, it's to this day it was the craziest tour I've ever been on. I mean, Liam, I think he's the funniest guy I've ever seen on the Is planet. He, yeah. At the time when he was top of his game, um, it was just wild. It was completely wild. I mean, I was sober, retru- you know. I, I'm a teetotaler; I've never drank or taken any drugs or anything like that. So yeah. to be in the middle of that storm. Um, I don't think most of the crew would remember it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so if anybody's
0: writing a book, it's you, basically. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I, I remember lots of incidents, you know, but I don't think they do. But it was, you know, it's funny. You know, I saw Liam in the summer play in Dijon. He came out, and looked at the crowd, and went, "You lot of mustard." <laughs> and I thought, he still has it, you know what I mean? So, um, no, it was good fun. It was a great start, you know, to start with that love. Also, because Noel and Liam had Irish connection, so they really liked me. Yeah. They'd be asking me to get potatoes when I was home. And <laughs> Yeah, it was just funny. You know? And they were, I didn't realize that they'd spent, you know, three, four months in Mayo every summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a really strong Irish connection. And yeah, that helped a lot with them. It was quite genuine as well. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. genuine. Like, yeah, I mean, re- really nice people. Like, you know. But that was the tour where they
0: were playing the, sort of the relatively small shows. There was famous shows up in Glasgow and in, in places like that. Yeah. You know, did you get to stand at the side of the stage for those shows?
1: No, I mean, we were selling the merch. But the crazy thing back then is there was no um, credit card machines. It was all cash. And me and them were probably selling about £30,000 worth of merchandise a night the show would finish and we would still be there two hours later selling t-shirts and the security were like, look, we have to close. Then you had know, the next day these two Irish guys turning up at a bank in Sheffield going, listen, we just want to put 30. It was like, it looked very dodgy. Was that around the time of the Northern Bank? And right? it was around Is the it? time of the Northern Bank. You, know, well, you know, two Irish guys driving a truck around with a load of cash in, uh, in the UK probably looked a bit suspicious. I'm right, right, thinking but, of all
0: the boys who work for Sweat back there, and the great Carl Theon who plays for the Stockholm gales whose uh, whole thing is money laundering. Yeah. I see he's having an aneurysm now. This <laughs> this conversation. Did you ever get somebody looking at you going, sorry, lads, I can't let you put that.
1: Oh, quite often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, me- I remember one time, you know, and then did warn the merch company that, you know, I know it's okay in England to do this, but you can't just turn up in a bank in Europe. To, and I turned up in Finland, this was R.E.M., to bank 25,000, the equivalent of the euro at the time. Mm. They called the police on me. Because you. they were like, who's this kid coming in here with all this money? money? Now I had all the paperwork and stuff, so it was fine. But they were like, listen, you can't just walk into a bank in Finland and What did and they want you to like do, this. though? But you see, back then, much, there, was, there was no credit card. Everything yeah. was cash, you know. So, yeah. I mean, I spent... A lot of time driving around with a lot of cash in the back of a truck as a young guy. And I it was, it was a bit nervous at times, you know, because you didn't have security, which. Uh,
0: yeah, and not uh, everybody knew you
1: were from Cork either. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, when you're young, you just think, I'll be fine. Yeah. You know? And I was, luckily, I, apart from getting hijacked once. <laughs> that was a bit. Uh, just the once. Yeah, just it. the once, yeah. I was bringing Rory Gallagher shirts up to be printed. And uh, yeah, they had the door or the road cordoned off and took my van and took 7,000 blank T shirts that were for Rory Gallagher's last uh, European tour but apart from that everything was fine would that, that, that have been our friends in the republican movement who might have relieved you no this was in the UK I, I don't think so no. so definitely a, not the yeah. republican yeah. movement yeah you right. know so somewhere, uh, somewhere outside London yeah but I got my van back four days later and my wallet no money taken out So.
0: but no Rory Gallagher shirts no Rory Gallagher t-shirts yeah, yeah. You, you would have thought they'd take them off and print them for you, <laughs> yeah. you know, sorry we didn't mean that more yeah, you know? but um, that was the start of you getting into the business and obviously you're still in it uh, for 25 years later if not more yeah yeah 28 years now this year yeah well mm-hmm. And, like, do you enjoy it? Because I know you have a regular job here, which we'll talk about in a second. But do you enjoy sort of going off on the road and doing these things? I
1: I love it, yeah. I mean, as I say, with the Oasis, it was a great start to, um, you know, normally you'd start much lower down in the food chain. Yeah. um, But the next tour I got was Pulp when they were doing, you know, disco, whatever it was. Disco 2000. 2000 2000. and all that, you know. So that was the next tour I was on. So I just kind of jumped from one. Um, then I got a great gig actually with Divine Comedy if you you know the Irish band I did nearly two years with them and they were fantastic Mm. Um, you know obviously not doing big shows like Oasis and things but I mean they were very popular in France you could be out in France for a month just on a tour there yeah Uh, enjoyed that a lot and then R.E.M. was my next that was my first big break I think then yeah Um, Around about what time was that that would have been after Automatic for the People yeah so R.E.M. was 2003 was my first uh, gig and again it was the truck driving license was the thing most of the merch guys didn't have a truck license. That's wild yeah. get it like that, you know. You but I did, you know, so it gave me a, a lot of leverage. And I know it sounds ridiculous to have a truck, license, but it wasn't wasn't that easy to get one after that because you had to take a test. I took no test. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. I think it was from my own father, like at one point
0: in the 60s or the 50s or whatever it was back then, they're like, in you know, order, they just went, okay, we have too many applications for driver's licenses. Just send the send things them, yeah, out, yeah. Like, you
1: know. My, my dad told me, like a bike license, I think there was a guy stood on the corner of a street, and when you drove the bike around the block, and the guy just watched it go past and it that's it, you have your bike license. You go, yeah. Like yeah,
0: It's unbelievable. And I mean I've driven everything myself in, in my time like, you with know, trucks and buses and all sorts of stuff. Like you know, wouldn't fancy doing it again, you know, and you feel like such a bluffer as well, but I'm teaching the young one to drive and I've got I was twelve years old for replacing <laughs> you know, cars is ridiculous, you know. But if, if we we'll back it up a little bit further before we go mm-hmm. on to REM. Um this is the amazing thing. Like, I mean, the Sultans to Ping, when it was going on, was absolutely massive in Ireland and in England at the time among students, that kind of thing. Where did your own musical career start? Did you always want to be the drummer in a band or was it something you fell in? Um,
1: no, so I started in the school. I was in a band with a Joe a journalist in Ireland. Uh, that was my first band. Mm. Um, and we were supporting bands around Cork. And, you know, that was it, really. We were never going to go anywhere else. Uh, but it was a good place to start. Mm. Uh then I started playing in a cork band 3355409 5, who so were quite established. Uh, and I got to know some of the older crowds. Um Sultans, I was actually the manager first when they yeah. came along. Um I wasn't the drummer, but I mean they were a very chaotic band. They were a chaotic band when I was in it, but they were even more chaotic before uh, I joined them. Uh, and the drummer, he basically he went off to become a Buddhist monk in Tibet. is not and, unusual in the drumming professional. Yeah. And um <laughs> We were actually doing a, a fanning session for the band's first fanning show. I went up there as the manager, and Ian Wilson said during the lunch break, listen to drumming. is out there on one of those songs. Can you just go in and do it while the band are out having a few sandwiches? So I played the track, and Ian Wilson was like, you should be the drummer. And then he went off yeah. to, to and Left the c Tree. Yeah, though. six months later, we got our, our record deal. So, yeah.
0: That's
1: the, the time.
0: Because like at the time, Ireland was a different country then to what it is now. Right? That, yeah. was, that was just... I was out there completely to get a record. But, and,
1: and this is where the first connection with Sweden comes in, because 1990, Euro Rock, if you remember this, remember they used that, to play yeah. in a different country every year. They'd have one band from each country would come mm. to represent them. And Euro Rock was in Cork, RTE put on in 1990. Yeah. And they had no headline act on Sunday when they had like a band from Finland and, mm. you know, not big pulling acts. So they thought, we'll get a local band in. We were taken in as the to- token local band. And Swedish radio was there and... Piet actually or P3, sorry, uh, recorded it and actually played it on Swedish radio. So we started getting all these letters from people in Sweden looking for demo tapes. So mm. I knew then I thought, okay, you know, we're obviously doing well in Cork, but you know, in the vast scheme of things, what does that mean? Yeah. That if somebody completely outside of Cork who's never seen us live reacted like that, I was like, you know, we could be onto something here. Yeah. Uh, and then as I say, six months later, we get a record deal. It's
0: gas. I played exactly the same festival four years later. And a few months after we sat, we sat down. I was playing the band at the time, uh, and we sat down with a record deal for what half a million pounds on the table. And then Morty, two weeks later, they went bankrupt. Yeah. So like, whereas you went for the stars, I headed straight for yeah. the gutter. There. What what difference did that make to your life? Were you able to sort of give up working and concentrate on the music? Well, then? this
1: is the funny. Like, there was nobody in Cork who knew about record deals. So the only guy we knew was that you see his name in the paper all the time. Who's Turns out to be Ian uh, Bailey's lawyer. now I was Frank Buttermore, who did all the criminal cases. <laughs> so we thought, Frank's the man. He's in the echo every night. He'll know about record contracts. The law the law. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we went to Frank and said, Frank, we're signing this deal there like in London. Yeah, yeah, lads, blah, blah, blah. He hadn't a clue, obviously, but he bluffed <laughs> his way through it. Yeah. We paid him and we ended up on £80 a week. Lovely. That was the reality. <laughs> but
0: that's loads of money when you're. It was low. It art. was low
1: at our age. But when you look back and you were like, maybe we're a bit naive there. Maybe yeah. we should have asked somebody in London or Dublin who actually knew about music industry contracts. But yeah, again, the folly of youth. Yeah. But that's, I suppose, yeah. It wasn't really that kind of a nation at the time because I remember, you
0: know, I've written about it many times about you know half of England or half of London coming to Dublin at the weekend looking for the next U two we were always there "Oh, there's only one U2, thankfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, look at all these other bands. Like, you know, we talked about Craig Walker from yeah. Power of Dreams there and that kind of thing. What was that scene like? Because Cork was very independent, but still, it wasn't. Dublin never looked down on Cork at that point. It was a very independent, like well-respected scene down there.
1: Yeah, I mean, you had two things going on in Cork. I mean, you obviously had the live music thing, and then you had Sweat, Sir Henry's, the mm-hmm. dance thing, which was the number one club in Ireland. Oh. Um, so I think you know, people from Dublin really respected that. that how did it happen there? But then travelled down there regularly. So it's a lot of bonds made between Cork and Dublin that time musically, I think. Mm. Uh the Cork Rocks ninety one, there was sixteen acts from around the country. Eleven got signed. Wow. And ten of them were not from Dublin. Like Therapy, the Cranberries, a lot of yeah, yeah. Uh, Toasted Heretic, you know, um Alley from Kilkenny. Yeah. So it was like I don't know, the whole country kind of woke up. Yeah. It was good to kinda of shake off the U two thing, I think. I mean I love U two, the first four albums are some of my favorite records ever, but there was not not going to be another U2. No, that was the thing. Like yeah, that. and I think that was when the independent sector started to open up in the UK for us. Mm. And once you saw one band doing it, then another band followed. Like Power Dreams, their first EP and Satanta. Mm. You were like, well, if they're doing it, I know them, maybe I could do it as well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was... It was a good time. It was a very it was a good time. a remarkable time, all right. It's yeah, only yeah. now
0: that you list those bands that, you know, even if there's people 20 years younger than you and me listening to this, who will know the Cranberries and, you know, who will mm. know the Sultans and who will know that kind of thing, you know. Now, I assume that you didn't end up in Sweden because you were delivering demo tapes over here to people who have written you letters. Uh,
1: how did you no. end up coming over here then? Um, so then Sultans, we played Hulsford, so first time in Sweden, 93. Yeah. Now, again, no internet. You have no idea what you're going into. Yeah. Uh, we turn up in Hulsford and the tent was absolutely packed um and like the big posters were like Ramon Sutton's a ping a character or something like that no, we couldn't understand you know what's this big deal here but I mean we had a huge following in Sweden from the start uh we came over then the following year 94 we did a 10-day tour of Sweden which was pretty unheard of mm. playing in Katrina home nor shopping all these places where you wouldn't get a lot of shows and again you know fantastic response so mm. um Started to come over and back then with the merchandise, mm. uh, as I mentioned with Oasis, came over with Chemical Brothers, menswear, started to make contacts with different people, mm. um, in music. And I mean, Stockholm's got a fantastic music scene. Yeah. Uh, and I saw Bob Hund, changed my life. I was You know Bob Hund? I know Bob Hund, yeah. Yeah. You know, I just couldn't believe, you know, this band is the most incredible band I've ever seen. I haven't a clue what they're singing about. So I was like, I'm going to learn Swedish to understand. Uh, what are you saying? Jesus, that's dedication. Yeah, it was back then, you know. And I over and back, you know, working in the different venues. My wife worked for um, a promoter, and we became friends. And as you do back then, started writing to each other. You know, this is still. Sorry, sorry, just explain that to people, everybody. because yeah. many people. You get a piece of paper and a pen. Fem, this,
0: yeah. this long thin yolk with ink in it, and you'd write you know how much you missed her and yeah, you yeah. Were doing
1: it and, and you'd hope that the letter would actually get there and, yeah. and by the way i'm in stockholm in two months on the 5th of november with this band yeah if you're around i'll meet you outside dailies at two o'clock for a coffee that was it you know uh leave a message on the home phone number and hope that she turn up and yeah. she did and um yeah she's my wife now and we have three kids so what kind of
0: conversations were you having with people? You do a show in you know, the metropolis that is yeah. Hall, right? You come off the stage and obviously the Swedish teenagers and young people want to well, what were they saying to you about the music you were making and the fact that you were in their town?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the the one thing that struck me with Swedes since from the very beginning when I came here is they're massive music fans. Yeah. I mean insanely you know into music of yes. all types uh something i wouldn't be into the kiss thing for it like kiss a huge here the metal mm. thing is huge here clear Pre- yeah mind. yeah there's yeah. a lot of weird things that were like but it's still a love of music yeah and at the indie sector in the mid 90s in sweden was incredible i mean you had a lot of good bands i like popsicle this yeah. perfect day There was a lot the of one good of bands dyes around it wanna dies were very good as well so it was a really good and hannah's shellera in Sodermalm. malm mm. when i would come over and work at the shows you'd have a night off that's where you'd go Hmm. And it was the place was rocking.
0: Yeah. Didn't like, matter who you went to see. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, this yeah.
1: is a great place. You know, there was such a fantastic vibe in Stockholm in the 90s for, yeah. for music, you know. so Do you feel the same buzz
0: of creativity? Because, like, it's very easy for us to put on our old man, old rose tinted glasses and say, oh, it was all better in yeah. my day, Could kind of thing, you know. Do you feel that sort of buzz now when you hear the music and when you see the acts that are playing today, or do you get out to watch live music?
1: I, I, I watch live music as much as ever. And I think this year, and particularly post pandemic, is. The best year i've seen in years for bands like so many good effect. young bands yeah. yeah yeah it's uh and a lot of good guitar bands again hmm. and like i, I was listening to recently that new dad i don't know if you've heard them from galway i know uh, nobody anymore. yeah it's a new band a new band from galway doing really well in uh, in the uk at the moment and amazing yeah you know and like fontaine's obviously yeah yeah uh, i mean i saw them in march here in the baser and it's the best gig I've seen in the last 10 years. I'm like a kid still when I go to a gig. Yeah. You know, you're very liable to see me stage dive. Or <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just kept that love. And, mm. yeah, and I have a 21-year-old daughter who knows music inside out. So mm. anything I miss, she tells me, sends me links. So Snaps it up here, you She keeps be, yeah. me up to date. And, you know, we're really lucky at home. You know, the kids are a bit more grown up. So uh, it's either myself and my wife going out to a gig or my, do- my daughter and my wife or me and my daughter. So we, we mix it up cool uh, so yeah. we all get to go to the shows you know so music is is such a big deal in our house my young one is 18 and she loves
0: music but she's not a big fan of live music so we got the tickets for you know these grana lund you can get this green card yeah. we can go to all the gigs like i was going oh nile rogers i wouldn't mind seeing that and she's going yeah yeah no you know and all these and we just we didn't end up going to any of them but i'm kind of getting the itch now again that i want to go to see
1: people yeah. i mean know? the bass there's a fantastic venue there's in, in hornstool yeah yeah i mean it's you know, I'm time. there three or four times a month, you know, with, with Paul O'Malley, who you interviewed recently, funny enough. Ah, he's, yes, uh, yeah, from the local. Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, Paul is my go-to guy if I'm going to gigs because yeah. you just text him and he's there. He'll never miss a gig, so, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And how do you manage it then? Because you're here at Folk University. At um, the great Alex Orphanidas is working here yeah. as well. Yeah, another
1: right? not a cork man. Not yeah. a
0: There's too many cork people in this podcast. Yeah. But there you go. That's what you get for not having people outside of Stockholm as well. But you're, what's your role here? Because you've been here for 23 years now, isn't yeah, it?
1: Yeah, so 21 years. 21 years. Yeah. Uh, I was teaching in Solentuna first in the school when I came. and I came here. And what are we teaching? Truck driving? Uh, <laughs> how <laughs> to bluff and be a truck driver <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Um, a little bit of dodgy accounting, and yeah. Like. It's funny, you know, because when I got the first job, now I didn't think of Sweden as a tough place. Uh, but I got a job in a school in Malendegg and in Solentuna, oh which oh well, yeah, it's you know, it was considered hairy by Swedish standards back then. So, what did you think of it? Um, for me, it was nothing exactly, it was like Ireland, you know, every, any working class school in Ireland, but it I was a big, then. yeah, yeah. But or the Rockfields. thing is. All the teachers warned me, you know, you have to be very careful with these kids. They're very tough and all this. And, of course, they're a little bit tough for me. But, I mean, now this is I shouldn't be advising any teachers to do this. But there was a problem class. And I said to the lads, look, I'll meet you after at 4 o'clock by the train station, not more than 10 of you, and we'll sort it out then. And I went there because I knew they wouldn't turn up. And two of the guys cycled on a bike saw me there went back and said that Irish guy's a lunatic (laughs) and I just flew. I never had a problem. I had respect from the beginning and teachers who'd been there for 25 years couldn't, how is this possible? Like, you're just a kid, you know, but it was just, I don't know, I just saw the, I just used my Irish solution to it. I think you see those things in different ways because
0: I'd be very much like yourself in that, you know, that's not the kind of thing that you want to resort to, but by Jesus, if you push me to it, I'll go. Yeah, to it, I yeah, like yeah.
1: Something. And I just, you know, I didn't know, you know, how we're how we going to solve this, you know. And I mean, the kids actually listen in the class and mm. hopefully learned something as well. And were you teaching them English? Yeah, I was teaching English. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I took a break from touring for the first year when I came here, but then I got the itch again. Yeah, and I was just like, I got to find something where I can kind of mix the touring and and be with my wife and stuff. So then, Folk university had, you know, they have part-time courses. And I thought, if I could mix that with Mm. my touring then. And I've managed to do it very well. And I've got a really understanding boss here. Um, Fucking say that again. Yeah. um, In fairness to Eva Arnick, she's uh, always been very understanding. And sometimes I might have to go in the middle of the terms. Listen, I'm off on an REM tour. And she was like, all right, but just come back. No, yeah, so i always have yeah, yeah yeah i do and what do you do then do you bring in somebody to cover for your classes or yeah whatever? there's always teachers that that can cover you know and yeah. i've kind of specialized in swinglish here from the beginning that's my kind of uh okay. that's my kind of thing i speak good swedish so um with the swedish a lot of the a lot of our teachers here their swedish wouldn't be great yeah, yeah. um so it, i kind of have an advantage maybe on certain other mm. teachers with that you know so. so would you be teaching swedish or teaching english through swedish or no no I, i'm teaching english but i mean i point out the common mistakes that yeah, that swedes yeah. make you know and why they make the mistake and show them the swedish language and what the difference is yeah, so. this is what you're over translating directly yeah and then you know we have a lot of beginners courses as well where you know we'd have a lot of people from other countries there who mm. um wouldn't speak english so i teach them through swedish for example you know yeah, so yeah. um yeah, it's good. I really enjoy, you know, I mean, Stockholm is a very multicultural city and yeah. it's been great uh, to meet all different sorts of people over the years. Yeah. It seems to suit you all, right? You yeah, know. no, it suits perfectly and it suits with the music. I'm a very social person, you know, and I like to... I think Swedes as well, you, you know, you need to have something in common with them for them to open up. Mm. You know, they don't interact with strangers in the way we do in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. And when I came here the first year, I was like, how does this work? Yeah. You know, because if you think Ireland is a very... You know, there's different kinds of societies. Ireland is what's called uh, a social intrusive society. Yeah. Um, Everybody wants to know your business. Everybody wants to know your business. And Sweden is on the other end of the spectrum, which is unsocial, but it's unintrusive. Yeah, yeah. So you have your freedoms there, but nobody gives a shit about you, basically. (laughs) And I'm always fascinated with all the Irish that live here, that we can manage to bounce between the two societies Mm -hmm. because they're they're polar opposites. Yeah. When you get on a plane for two hours and you're like, this is incredible that it can be... Yeah, it's very compartmentalised
0: as well. Like, you know, Because even among the Swedish-Irish community, yeah. there are certain things we do together and the certain things we do on our own. Yeah. And the two very seldom overlap. You know, yeah. So when you're trying to get somebody involved in one thing from the other and that, and it's so difficult, even with the soccer team and the Stockholm Gales and the Gaelic footballers, there's very few who sort of float between the two. Yeah. And it's always the local lads or the lads who are here from Germany. Where they don't really overlap all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, We can't seem to get them to do it. And it's one of those things. I wish I could work it out because... <laughs> Years ago, Copenhagen and Gaelic football they had only Danish girls in the team. At the moment, Helsinki have only Danish girls, so it can be done. But I wonder if we just have to leave the playing field to them then, just yeah.
1: Interesting, yeah,
0: yeah. In terms of the language courses here, and um, because this is something we took up with Alex, and it's wor- it's always worth taking it up every sort of September, every January, because new people come over here and that. And um, what sort of things do folk University universities offer, and is it like going to school like so are you gonna be standing up there offering to
1: fight me if i don't know me? <laughs> No, no yeah. i think that was a one a one-off you know I, <laughs> I haven't i mean the big difference with folk university is you pay to go here so students yeah. are automatically motivated mm. um and they want to improve as quickly as possible to get a job yeah. um, and they have some money behind them as well so yeah um i would recommend anyone coming there. i mean it's I studied Swedish here for the first few months when I came. Just gives you good ground uh, and then you go off yourself, you know. But I wouldn't advise anyone just to get off a boat and just start living here, you know. Yeah. It's worth doing it for a few months just to get the basis. Yeah. Because the problem, I think you'll agree, was um, trying to speak Swedish is difficult in the first few years because people can hear you're an English speaker yeah. and reply to you in English and it's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my technique was to reply in Irish yeah, and say I didn't speak English yeah. uh, and just force them to speak Swedish with me. Yeah. Um, I think the first three years, it's harder for English speakers to pick it up than say maybe German speakers or Spanish speakers because... Well, it's the path of least resistance because yeah. they speak better English than we do most of the time, you yeah.
0: know, or you know, or certainly to a very competent level. And you know, I always said that my wife is a language teacher, and she was the one who did the least to teach me the language because she just doesn't have to... She has to put up with enough shit out of me yeah. without having to listen to me waffling in the language I don't speak. Yeah. Or thing, you know, So it is fine to that. I remember begging people who worked at the local shop and that kind of thing, so no matter what happens, try this. And of course... They wanted to practice their English. They wanted to speak to me. You know, yeah. I was in a cafe there today with a photographer friend of mine. The same thing. They heard, they heard us talking, speaking English, and then they wanted to speak English as well. You know, and it, like it, it doesn't matter. And
1: now it doesn't matter because yeah.
0: we both already speak it. You
1: know? Yeah, and I think I mean, as you say, the Swedes they have very good level of English, but they don't get a chance to practice unless they go traveling. So yeah, yeah. They, they'll jump in any opportunity. But I mean, I want to live in Sweden. I want to speak Swedish and understand mm-hmm. how their culture works. So yeah, you kind of have to find a way to navigate. Um, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. And it
0: is like it's absolutely key for those who are listening to this. It's absolutely key to understanding what the hell is going on around you socially and everything else, isn't it? Yeah, like, you know,
1: like I remember when I, I was teaching her, there was a particular teacher and after eight years I came in with a semla bun. I love semlar, I don't yeah. know if you do or not. And this teacher said, What the hell is that? And I said, It's a semla. I said, but What's a semla? I was like, you've lived here for eight years, you've walked past bakeries, but he had never seen seen it. So you had this cultural gap. Yeah. Um, You know, and that can happen very easily. You know, for anyone moving to another country, you miss certain things. Uh, And if you live in a country, I just want to understand what they're about you
0: kind of want to immerse yourself in it a little bit as well yeah like, yeah somebody once said to me it's like oh you know do you do you go to the irish Supposed to meet irish people said, well if i want to meet irish people i'd say in Dublin. yeah you know there's loads of not that there's that wrong with the irish people you'll find the yeah, yeah, here but that's the thing you'd rather sort of meet them where you are you
1: yeah know? and i look it's it's very different to ireland but there's a lot of good things on offer here i mean it's a fantastic landscape yeah it's great outdoor life yeah i mean it's amazing outdoor life um it's really accessible as yeah, well. It's really it? accessible. yeah it's really accessible plus there's a lot of space which you know, we, do, we don't have as much of an Ireland, you know, we tend to be live a bit more crowded together. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Stockholm is laughable when they say it's a crowded city, you know, compared to what we're used to. <laughs> uh. Exactly. I'll leave it on I top mean, top a guy told me recently, I don't know if it's true or not, but that like Dublin and Stockholm have the same population, but that Stockholm is three times the area that yeah. Dublin has. I mean, it's amazing. It's hugely you know, spread it <laughs> <difference>, <laughs> you?
0: you take from sort of, you know, almost Notelia all the way down to Surlatelia and people coming in to work and that. Yep. You know, obviously Dublin is catching up, you know. But when it comes to your own music these days, I mean, i can show you were there last week listening to Gareth Brooks and thinking, I could do that. I could easily play the music <laughs> on that. Do you make any music
1: yourself anymore? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I? You know, I've often thought about, I mean, a lot of guys are obviously professional drummers and will play with any. I've never been like that. I can only play drums on music I like. So, yeah. Gareth Brooks or whatever, I would never have got to that level anyway. But yeah, I, it just hasn't happened. And Sultans, you know, kind of restarted again in mm. 2005. You know, we stopped for eight years. And... Yeah, it's where the internet's been really kind to us. Yeah, I don't know why, but you know, before we were dependent on music journalists to write about us or radio play or whatever, mm. that didn't matter anymore. Kids started sending the links to each other. Yeah, and we just found a new audience, and our old audience came back. Mm. Um, like we played, we played in Cork in two thousand and fourteen. We had four hundred people. Now we're playing two nights in the Opera House next February. It's nearly sold out. We'll be nearly three thousand people. Jesus. We haven't released anything. We haven't done anything. Yeah, to justify it, but just. I don't know, time has been nice to us. Yeah. Um, it's only a few gigs a year we do, but I enjoy it, yeah.
0: Well, what's it like when you get back in the room with the lads again, despite the fact you might not have seen them for a year or two years or three years?
1: Is this, the Nothing, has the Nothing, Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. It's still mad. It's Just still madness. Wild. Complete madness, yeah. And, you know, they tell you, I'm going to take it easy now tonight, and then it's like, okay. Usually, you know, the singer has drunk half a bottle of whiskey and jumps into the crowd, takes his clothes off, and, like, he's a university professor in in London you know he's he's like I can't be doing this anymore you know I'm a a respectable member of society but it is it's it's like a time warp Uh, straight back back in there yeah yeah it it is yeah but it's chaos and I don't think I could do it full-time in any case yeah I don't think any of us could what's what's the crowd look like when you're sitting there behind your drum kit you peek out over your tom-toms there who do you see in front of you I don't see I mean when you're a drummer you generally just see the first two or three rows that's it you know so I see a lot of familiar faces uh from the 90s, um, you know, so it's, uh, no, it's good. It's good fun. Uh, Guerrilla gigging, we call it, yeah. Guerrilla really gigging, just yeah. go in, do your thing, get out. But Niall is, you know, he's very peculiar in what he will do and won't do. Um, is he, yeah? Yeah, I mean, like I could say, look, we've got this gig in Tokyo, you know, it's X amount of money, or we can do Leicester Workingmen's Club. we got Leicester Workingmen's Club. And is that because it's closer or just at a lot? it's just his logic, yeah. That's there, there is no logic, yeah. It could be, yeah. <laughs> and it's can very you random. predict before you pitch these things to a no, 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 no. I never can, you know, I never could. Um, and like, you know, great guys to sit down on the bar with and chat. To. I love them, you know, but when it comes to the band itself, it's it's just, it's the most chaotic thing in my life. <laughs> I'm a very organized person and it went out the window with Sultans from day one. Yeah. And I've never managed to rein it in.
0: You know? Does that bother you that it's the one wild aspect of your life that you've no control over? It,
1: it's probably good for me, you know, actually, not to lose a bit of control there, you know, because like, you know, I remember we went over to New York in 96 and we had a couple of thousand dollars for accommodation. And the first night our guitarist, Sammy Steiger, broke the guitar. Um, we had to pay the $2,000 uh, damages. We slept on the floor for seven days. You know, the first time in New York you want to be, you know, we had a hotel and it was like, okay. Yeah. And it's just, you can plan as much as you want with Sultan's, but... It just doesn't work. It'll happen. never be what you think it is, but yeah. I do find that when we get on stage, it tends to work out. It clicks. I don't know how. Yeah, yeah, but it does. Yeah, I don't know if it's muscle memory or what it is. You know. But yeah. So I just accept that, Okay, this is going to be a weekend, a nutty weekend. Now. Yeah. that that's a thing of Mike Tyson used to say that everybody's got a clan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. You know? so that's a lot like the sol- <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. When you were sure. sitting up there playing the drums, who's selling the merch? Yeah, well, it's funnily <laughs> enough. I usually set up the merch for the local <laughs> guy, get him to do it, and then go back down afterwards. And he uh, gives you the big bag of cash. Yeah, right yeah. Right? well, Brexit has thrown a spanner in the works now for merch. So has it, You have to carnet everything. Oh, on it's, in it's a nightmare. Passes. For I mean, the summer I spent, you know, offloading trucks in France and then bringing them in, empty to the UK, driving them out empty, picking up the stuff in France again. You're kidding me. Yeah, I mean, it's you know a lot of the truck drivers actually who I know had voted for Brexit, but they didn't really understand. What it meant for them. Yeah. So they've had to go and get Irish uh, registration plates on the trucks, Jeez. re-register everything, get Irish driving license if possible. Yeah. Um, so they can drive in Europe because a British driver can only drive in Europe for one week and has to go back. Otherwise, he has to get
0: a work permit or something. Yeah, sure. exactly. So.
1: Yeah. So Oof. it's caused so many problems for them. Oh, that, that must have destroyed things for touring bands as well. Yeah, yeah. It? So the vast majority of British trucking companies now are registered in Dublin. They are. Yeah. Shit. It's crazy to see all these you know, big trucking companies in the D-reg all over Europe uh, just to make their lives easier because otherwise they are literally going into every border with a huge uh, ream of paper to get it stamped. Yeah, And you're pulling into a separate lane then as well. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Britain. I mean, it's even, you know, you know yourself. I flew into Ireland last night from London and there's one queue for all uh, the British people now with their passports and the Swedes and Europeans just go through. Yeah. And I could hear the questions, how long are you staying in Sweden for? It's yeah. ludicrous.
0: Mad, you know, when you think all
1: our lives, British people could just come and go. And now suddenly it's like, well yeah. oh, you're here for five days. They're being questioned. And it's just, it just feels odd to me. It's an yeah. act as self-harm.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the next tour? Like, is there specific people that you say, right,
1: REM call, I'll answer the phone. But Jedward's probably not. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been long enough in the game now that, you know, I don't need to, to do stuff I don't want to do. Yeah. Um. So I generally try to teach in the Ottoman Spring and then tour from May to mid-September. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've managed, you know, the pandemic was a disaster. Obviously, there was no touring for a few years, but um, this year now, I work with Radiohead and all their projects. So if they tour in the sure, middle yeah. of a term, so I'm going to America for six weeks with them in November Yeah, uh, with their new project, The Smile. Yeah. Um, so I will make an exception for them. Um, but otherwise, no. I, I do weekend shows, and I've got a very good mate here, uh, Jamie Saunders. Uh, we do a lot of merchandise around Sweden, so yeah. we'll do weekend shows, and we'll sell it to Baser for bands. But... I wouldn't be going out on tour. Yeah. yeah. What sort of skill set do you need for that? Because you're talking about setting it up. And I'm and going back to,
0: you know, again, I've been with Def Leppard last week in America for a while. I remember them doing a gig in the St. Francis Savior Hall in Dublin. And it was the first one that Rick Allen played after he lost his arm in a car accident. So he yeah. had this electronic drum kit. And the tickets were a fiver and the t shirts were a fiver. And the t shirts, you know, you wouldn't insult your car by cleaning them with them, because as soon as you wash them, they all went out of shape. Yeah. And this, you obviously have no great control over what they produce, but you have to set everything up. Yeah. You have to look after the Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. What do, What does yeah. it look like from the beginning? Yeah, the
1: end? I, I don't get involved in the designs. I mean, that's the, you know, I'm yeah. not an artistic person. Um But these days, you know, the, the, the quality of the cotton is either good or excellent. You know, there's not that cheap cotton anymore. People, yeah. You know, consumers won't won't buy it. You know, so yeah. so that comes it comes to me. They'll call me and say, "Listen, we think we're going to sell X amount of t-shirts." They'll send me the designs. I mean, sometimes you get a band that will be trying to sell pink T-shirts in, in the UK or Ireland. I'm like, it's not going to wash. Yeah. If you really want to sell them, I'll make 10 of them or 20 of them. But um, So you have a discussion about you know, how much of each shirt you think you'll sell. Mm. And then I take care of all the stock, basically. Okay. Yeah, I'm lifting boxes a lot. I'm uh, displaying the merch and making sure all the numbers balance and stuff doesn't go missing. Yeah. And do, when you get
0: there, you're the one who sort of pins up the t-shirts and sticks the numbers on them and said, "Okay, this one is x Yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah. That's actually my weakest link. So my first when I when I employ someone, that's always a person who can display better than I can because <laughs> uh, I'm absolutely terrible. But I, I'm very good with numbers, so I'm the numbers guy first and foremost. And somebody else can do the, the aesthetics. Else can, yeah, aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. And so we're just in guard Brooks. I was like, I'm not doing the aesthetics in this. Um, there's a guy in Dublin, Raymond Bell, and he's amazing. Uh, he did he designed all these banners with all, and it looks fantastic. So yeah. that's the only stress I have with March. Yeah, I mean, w- would there be a lot of people working under you then at a venue? Because I remember,
0: like, there was a huge queue. I was at, it was at the Allegiant uh, Arena in Las Vegas, the new fucking American football stadium, yeah. huge, and the queues for the merch were just out the door. And it was the Def Leppard and Motley Crew and Joan Jett and Poison were playing, so they all had their own little Lane up to where their merch is on yeah. sale, and they just seem to be banging the stuff out. Yeah, there. I
1: mean, the thing with the Americans in the venues, they're multi purpose venues, so yeah, they have merch every week, whether they're doing concerts or ice hockey matches, or you know, they can take Same out the thing grass. To them, and, like, yeah. But I mean, in Ireland, you know, Croke Park has only started doing shows mm. really in the last and they can only do three a year due to restrictions, so yeah. there's no way you're going to have experienced staff because it's not just not enough work for them, yeah. Uh, you know, but that said, I mean, I go in stadiums all over world, the world, and Croke Park is probably one of the best. Is it? It's incredible how well set up. I mean, you feel really proud as an Irish man when you go behind the scenes there. Mm. Um, you know, you see the GA as this kind of amateur organisation. Yeah. You know, we've all played the GA and stuff and grown up yeah. with that. Then you go in there and it's just super professional. Your man McKenna that runs Croke Park. I mean, it's unbelievable. fantastically yeah. run. Yeah. So I think it's the third biggest stadium in, in, Europe, in Europe at the moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, concerts go like clockwork there. Yeah. Um, and, you know... I know there was a debate in Ireland, but did, should we use GA stadiums for, you know, rugby matches or, or whatever, or separate, concerts? Yeah, yeah. Um, they've got to pay back. You know, when you invest that much money. They've got to pay it back somehow. Yeah, I mean, it's not to the detriment of a match. I mean, no, no, no. But yeah. at the
0: same time, like you know, who who is this for? Who's the stadium for? Right now, obviously yeah. it's for the GAA and the sports, right? but it's also for the community. Yeah. I mean, Crow Park. I'd have more time for Crow Park than for my local church. Crow Park was where we went every Sunday, yeah, even yeah. more often than we were in the kind of George. Yeah. Or Parnell Park, and it just strikes me as such a waste then to not use it for for concerts. You know, mm-hmm. Parnell Park is smaller, but Jesus, bang on a, a decent sized band there would be a great all night and don't kind of thing? Yeah,
1: you know? yeah, no, but I'm. I, as I say, you know, there's no such qualms in other uh, countries in Europe, but they'll use their stadium for anything if it yeah, generates yeah. revenue. I mean I did get annoyed with the Ed Sheeran concert in Cork that the Cork match was moved. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was wrong. Yeah. Because you know the hurling should come or the football should come first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, I, there was a couple of guys resigned from the county board in Cork mm. and I, I I stand by them hundred percent. You know, yeah. I think that is wrong because it is built well, by the GA, but But the other thing is like Ed Sheeran is not he's planning a tour in twenty
0: twenty four now. Yeah. You know, so it's actually easy enough to go right this date and then go to whoever and say, look, let's not have our fixtures clash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask you one thing about something that's come up recently is venues taking a portion of what you get for the merchandise. Yeah. Not a problem if you're Gareth Brook. But but Mm. if you're playing a club show in Leicester or Workman's Club or whatever,
1: now it's usually nightclubs that thing. Is this going to – are they just robbing the poor bands? Um, so I mean, it's that started in America. It's called concessions, and it's generally 25% of your takings. Yeah. But they provide – I'm quite happy to pay them 25% because the service they provide, and they generate much more sales than you would yourself. Yeah. Um, but it started to kind of filter down to the club level in some places. Yeah. Uh, where they'll charge uh, you, know, a certain fee per 100 people in the building, Um you know, it hasn't happened in Stockholm. You know, all the venues, the smaller venues in Stockholm are free. You just go in and sell. Yeah. That's the end of it. You know, and I think it will stay that way. But I can see it in the UK, definitely in a lot of clubs, that they are starting to mm. introduce these hall fees, as they call them, you know, yeah. 100 quid to sell or whatever. And small bands, that 100 quid is, means a lot to them. So it's a diesel for them. Yeah. Not for... But I mean, it's, it's money, isn't it? Yeah. If people think they can make money, they're going to try and do it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Are bands making money out there? Is it still the thing of, you know, you're living at the pin of your collar like you were when the guitar
1: went? No, no. I, I think the bands that do well are earning a lot better than what we were in the 90s. Really, yeah. yeah? and the reason, there's a lot more festivals, and festivals pay huge fees. That's all right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, very, so if you can do a couple of festivals a year, like touring is still a break-even thing. You yeah. Know, you cover your expenses, you know, because it's expensive to bring a whole crew, buses, yeah. back lines, you know, PAs on the road, but the festivals... That, that pays your ear that's what does it for. and I mean even in Ireland if you look at the amount of festivals in Ireland now compared to when we like we had Fela yeah. now you have Electric Picnic all together now and the host is longitude yeah. there's a hundred more and they all get the crowds so yeah. um, they're paying the money you know it's, uh, back then when we in the 90s it wasn't like that Jeez, no, you'd be asked to play for nothing as well yeah not. yeah I remember going up to Mo Hill in Leitrim. we did a festival up there and I think I remember at the time we got a thousand pounds for, it, which was you know decent money in the 90s and and I looked out at the crowd and there was a guy in crutches and there was a guy standing on all fours behind him and they pushed the guy with the crutches over him. And I said, do we really have to be doing stuff like this? <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, you have a point. Like, you know, Can so we not just stay at the point? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a,
0: yeah. Where do you see yourself in the next few years? Because you seem to have really found yourself here. I mean, you've always been one of the the happiest, most positive people that we don't meet very often. Yeah. But when we do, you've always struck me as somebody who's very content with themselves. Where does that sense of contentment come no, from?
1: I, I think I'm a very autonomous person. Mm. And I think Sweden, you, there's a very high degree of trust in you do, know what you're doing and just get on with it. Yeah. And I just, I've developed a life for me here that kind of suits my autonomy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I don't think in Sweden, you know, it's, it's very flexible, Sweden as a country when it comes to work. Yeah. Um, and they find a way to me. I like that about the Swedes. Yeah. You know, I think um, I was saying to a friend recently. You know, if I was to work in any country, Sweden or I would always be Sweden. But I always to socialize would be Ireland every yeah, time. Yeah. You know, I was in the pubs in Dublin a few nights there in Garbrooks when we finished early and the atmosphere there. You just don't get it here. You no. know what I mean? So it's um, yeah, but it's got its good sides here. I got a family life here. It's great to raise a family here. Yeah. Um, and Stockholm is a great base. You know, as you know yourself, you can come and go very easily. Mm. Uh, there's a good Irish community here. You can dip into that or out of it as much yeah, as you want. Yeah. Then we have Longholman, obviously, which is... I was, I was about to ask, that. you still very yeah. really involved in the soccer still, club Still involved in Longholman, yeah. I mean, we st- when we started, it's the 20th anniversary this year. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Um, so, I mean, that's a big part of my life there. Yeah. Mm. But, I mean, all the, most of the teams are running very well now. It's a very stable club. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have 100 members that are there every year, and then there's kind of 20 or 30 that come and go. So, yeah. like the Gales, you know, it's a stable... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I wanted to play hurling when I came here. Uh, but when the Gales started it was footballers that were there yeah, yeah. I was a junior footballer I went out to training with the Gales a few times and they were much better players than me and I was like I'm wasting my time here. Yeah, these guys yeah. are going to kill me like, you know, it was, if it was hurling I could have held my own I was a handy hurler back in Cork but yeah, uh, yeah I'm hoping one day you know, the Gales will put out uh, a vets
0: hurling team we, you know? look at, we played. We got the older boys together and played football there a while ago so I mean, the hurling can't be too far off yeah, it's actually yeah. a fellas after starting a hurling team in Tampere in Finland and they were playing against the Helsinki Harps, and there's a girl, Michelle Cotter, from um, she's from Clare Limerick. She's from somewhere down hurling country, anyway. Speaks fluent Finnish, Amazingly. Mm-hmm. Never lived in Finland, and she contacted me. I had to drop a bunch of hurlies off a her on a day, so she has the girls playing camogie. So yeah. there's hope yet. Yeah. Before we end up in the grave, you I, know. I'd
1: love to like because I mean, the two things I miss from Maryland most are hurling. I mean, when I go back in holidays for two weeks, I'll go to twelve matches. It could be any every, game you can every get club them. game, every club game on, and I'll fishing. I love sea fishing. Oh, do you? Yeah. I'm in Stockholm. It's not a place for sea fishing, really. Like okay.
0: I have to ask you this question. I spoke to Alan Dalton recently about bird watching and fishing and that kind of thing. And I'm actually going to be doing some stuff around pike fishing and that, you know, the SM, the Swedish yep. championship and that Like, I commented on it once a few years ago. I have no idea about it, but that's not my job. My yep. job is to say what I say. Like, what's the difference between sea fishing and freshwater fishing?
1: Um, so it's a huge difference. I mean, in... In Stockholm, in particular, you know it's brackish water, so there's not the same salt content in it. Yeah. So certain kinds of fish won't come in. Won't yeah, come yeah. in There, and my number one thing, I fish for bass, half, yeah. half soaring as they call it in Swedish. Yeah. And you need a high salt content. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, just love the wildness of fishing around the big waves coming in. Yeah. And the lake for me is very placid and. I've never got into it, yeah, yeah. You have a sultan's chaos yeah. in the background. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I'd love to get into trout and salmon fishing on the river. I, I like the idea of that, but just sitting in a lake in a boat, it just, uh, I've tried it Yeah. here. and You know, just lakes everywhere in Sweden. I should love it, but no, yeah. I'm just, I want to be fishing on the Atlantic. So, actually, yesterday morning I was fishing um, at 6 o'clock before I got the flight from Cork to London, London. I caught a nice bass for myself in Cork Harbour, so... Um, did you get on the plane with you I, I didn't I just had a shower in time to wash away the smell of the fish <laughs> off maybe before uh, before I got oh, there, back yeah there. yeah no, so I do miss that. Yeah. Is there is this it now is Sweden going to be home forever do you think um I don't think so to be honest yeah and I'll tell you why um I spend a lot of time in West Cork when I go back yeah. and with the pandemic last year um obviously there was no touring mm. Very little teaching going on. It was all online. Mm. And a friend of mine rang me from West Cork, Chick Keller, and he runs West Cork Olives. He said, why don't you come and work in the markets in West Cork for the summer?" Yeah. So I spent, it was the longest I was home in Ireland in 29 years. Wow. And I was in Skibbereen and Bantry, Kinsale, you know, Cork City itself, selling olives and various delicatessen things. I loved it. A great time actually. yeah I mean it was you know dealing and just how generous the Irish people are I mean I remember saying to him there's no prices I had my stock home head of me there's no prices on anything here because he they don't care about prices out there and he said whatever you give them they'll ask for more and, but and I said but will they ask for grams he goes he looked at me what do you mean grams just fill the fucking bag yeah, it, up, but, you know in, in Sweden they would be for, give me 200 <laughs> yeah. grams of this and but if you won't a, get a gram more, yeah, right yeah. Now, will you? But it would be give us the fish to that there, lah. <laughs> and it was like, what does that mean? I would fill up the bag, throw yeah. in more, throw in more. <laughs> Not a couple there, yeah. And like, just just the banter that you have in Ireland yeah. with strangers, and I think my wife would be very, very happy if we ended up when in our when we we're a bit older, when the kids have grown up out in West Cork. She loves it out there as well. So mm. that's that's a plan. You ever come off the road? Um, I feel as young as ever to be honest. Yeah. So I you mean, when I start stranger, feeling this. Uh, <laughs> I'll come off. But no, I mean, as I say, with Jamie Saunders, we've got a good merch business developing here in Sweden now. So we'll definitely do more merch business in Sweden, maybe a bit less touring. But I mean, if Garth Brooks is playing in Crow Park, you know, you'll always go back there. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you can get down and sneak in a bit of fish. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's just great. You know, there was 80 of us working there. I mean, it was mostly dubs and just great slagging with the Cork and thing for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always good to go home, you know, and find any excuse to go home. Where is home now, though? Yeah, it's that's a good question. I mean, for me, um, Vaden where we, we have a summer house down there in Vestiata, I love it down there. It's it's, it's a family thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, Are your I, kids happy to be there? Which yeah, is that kind of thing? the yeah. kids love it. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know because I toured so much, I, I just needed a bit of quietness from sound and stuff, and just down there to be in the forest and walk around. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very special for me. Uh, i mean i love stockholm it's a multicultural city sports is great i'm a hammerby season ticket holder so go to all the away games when i can so mm-hmm. so much in stockholm uh that's going on and then grab all bay for fishing in Crosshaven. it's timeless you know it's when i was fishing there when i was four it's still the same yeah still the same rocks you catch the best fish on certain rocks yeah
0: you get, you get older but they don't
1: like yeah yeah so i, I couldn't pick one place to go i'm happy in all of them yeah you know and i miss the others when i'm there so
0: yeah there i'm go. lucky I was like the man who has everything but that's, that's most people from corporate claim that yeah it? but I
1: mean you know you have to take, take us with a pinch of salt <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly big believe yeah. me I know Marcos yeah all right, yeah, yeah.
0: Exactly. for now Marty thanks so much for talking to me
1: thanks Philip. that enjoy Bill.
0: my brother
1: knows Karl Marx he made a million mushrooms in the people's park he said what do you think about my manifesto I like a manifesto put it to the testo took a trip down to meet Party. I met a groovy guy, he was hardy-farty Said I know a little Latin and a cuss and a kai Said I don't know what it means, he said neither do I Eat natural food,
0: bake twice daily Fill your nostrils up with gravy Don't drink tea
1: and don't drink coffee Cover your chin and Yorkshire toffee Dancing in the disco bumper, it's a bumper Wait a minute, what's me jumper? What's me
0: jumper? Welcome me jumper? Welcome me jumper? <laughs> you go that is the legend that is Morty McCarthy and the Sultans of Ping FC and where's me jumper from God knows when jeez I feel old but I also feel great for talking to Morty about those great times for the Irish music scene and should there's great music being made at the moment actually there's an app out there or a sort of a a social media platform shall we call it called fan club out there I think I may have mentioned it on the podcast before go check it out because there's a lot of Irish artists on on there cost about 50 euros a year and they're putting up like exclusive live performances and this kind of thing and um, I think Mick Flannery is on there and uh, Mike from Stockton's Wing is on there as well and like, there's loads of different ones that you wouldn't even think of and needless to say I can't think of them now when I'm talking to you about it but it's well worth going Fan Club it's called, started by a guy that I went to school with called Declan McGuinness and his wife the lovely Anna Keating so go on out there and have a little look and a listen and see if there's anything to taste your, your fancy and their whole idea is that Spotify Uh, they pay back very very little you know it's like fractions of a crown or a cent or a penny or whatever it is you're having and their idea is right let's just give as much of the money as possible back to the artists and needless to say for people like morty and people in the entertainment business that's a very very vital part of it now next week if you're talking about saving the old pounds shillings and pence we're going to be talking to warren o'neill of nabla analytics who was down there in Gothenburg, came over to sweden with his swedish wife and is working in the energy sector and we're going to be talking all about electricity and the cost of electricity and what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing as individuals, but also on the governmental level and that kind of thing as well. So tune in for that. And the other thing I'd like to leave you with is, boys and girls, right? I've been talking to the ambassador and a few other people recently, and it goes back to what Peter was saying, the point that we brought up at the start of the podcast about this being very Stockholm-centric, right? And we need to bring in the rest of the people around the country, right? In Hållsvik, in Vestaros, in Trålet, wherever it happens to be, right? We need... A stronger bond between lads in Lulio and girls in Yavla and the rest of, of the Irish, Swedish-Irish community here, right? And indeed, more of the, the Swedish people are involved in that community. And one of the ways I thought about how, having, having to do that, or one of the ways we can do that, so that we can have these events, like the Oysters and Guinness event, in a place like Vesterås, is if we have representatives that say, right, I'll be the contact person here. Now, it might be an official thing via the Swedish-Irish Society or it might be just an unofficial thing that you become the go-to person in your town because you've been there the longest or because, you know, you have the most time over to do these things. So listen, get in touch. You don't have to get in touch with me, although you're more than than free to do so, but get in touch with the embassy, get in touch with uh, Sophie Murphy or the Swedish-Irish Society and suggest that because the more contact we have and the more... Uh, the big lads here up in Stockholm are aware of your existence. Uh, The more we can do, the more we can bring you into the planning and the execution and the thinking about these things and the closer we can all become. And sure, isn't that the point of the whole thing? Isn't that the point of the whole Swedish-Irish Society and the whole point of the Irish and Sweden podcast? But sure, listen, so if you want to get in touch, do... If you just want to join the podcast, do that too. If you want to go to all the Swedish Irish Society events, sure you may do that. If you don't want to go to any of them, stay you stick with yourself. But one way or the other, just know that we're all here for each other and I'm here for the whole lot of you. And if you want to reach out, you go ahead and do it. I'll talk to you and to Warren and to the, everybody else in the Swedish Irish community next week. But until then, look after yourselves. Look after one another. For Jesus, don't leave the immersion on. And uh, we'll be in touch. Good luck.